You know, Solomon has been giving us, in fact, I think this book is a book of confessions. There's no spin, there's no PC talk, there's no accusations or blame, there's no excuses. But he opens up his life and he lays to us bare a less than pristine life. And he tells us, I had a great image. I was seen as the most powerful man in the world. I had wealth beyond any imagination. I was viewed by all the nations around me as a success. But behind the scenes, I explored hedonism, materialism, philosophy, education, religion. And as recorded in the book of Kings, do you know how in school they warn you that you shouldn't do something because it will go on your permanent record? How many, how many of you have ever seen your permanent record? I haven't, you know. And I still wonder what's on that permanent record. But talk about a permanent record. I mean, this was recorded for all time, for every generation, until we see Christ face to face. And here's what was recorded. I did evil in the sight of the Lord. So it's a book of confessions. And in chapter 12, he confesses what it's like to grow old. But he also confesses that at the end of his life, if I can give one piece of advice, here would it be. And I'm going to start with verses 13 and 14 first, okay? Because they sound a little better than the ones that precede that. And here's what he says after everything he's explored, after everything he's done, no matter where he's been, no matter... What accolades he received, he sums it up in one sentence. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. Now, we heard the kids' choir start with that. That the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, the word fear is a very loaded word in the Hebrew. It means respect. It means honor. And yes, it means fear. It also means love. Now, I realize in our culture, we've reduced love to some kind of emotional sentiment. But in the Hebrew language, the word love just encompasses so many things. And it's why I titled the message, Love God, because that's what it means to fear him. It means that we reorient our mind and our hearts to enter into a love relationship with this father that we just sang about. There's a story told by a reporter who interviewed Carl Barth at the end of his life. For those that know Dr. Barth, he was a scholar. He traveled extensively. He lectured around the world. He was considered learned. Considered one of the great theologians and philosophers of his day, he had impressive credentials. And in his old age, he returned from one final world trip where he was doing a tour speaking at various universities and churches. And he was asked this question by a reporter. State the single most profound thought that you've encountered in life. And with a faint smile, he responded. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. 
This idea of loving God is profound. Obeying him, that is profound. We often think about the negative, don't we? We think about everything when we obey God, what we can't do. And it's true we're to avoid sin. And how many here this morning have ever experienced a gap between what you know up here about God and how you live? Anybody experienced that gap? (laughs) You see my hands up, okay? But the truth is, Solomon tells us this. You are what you love. It isn't how much you know. Because he was the most wise person on this earth. He knew. He had the knowledge. He was there. But he says, you are what you love. And it isn't how much you know. Although that's important. We have to know the right things. But it's how well you take that knowledge and move it down and how well you love. It's why Jesus asked Peter after his resurrection three times, Peter, do you love me? Not do you know me. Not did you listen to everything I taught you. Peter, do you love me? And then after that, he said, okay, go and feed my lambs. Go and feed my sheep. Augustine wrote these words you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you and then later on he says we are made to love the one who made and loves us see our hearts become disordered when we love substitutes idols other things and when we have a disordered heart we have disordered lives But if we fill our lives with the love of God, we fill our lives with to-dos. To-dos that honor and bring glory to him. Rather than seeking minimal standards that as a Christian, as long as I don't do these things, then I'm a believer. And I have to tell you, if you live that way, you will get cranky. (laughs) It's no way to live. And far too many times we grew up arguing over the gray areas. For me growing up, it was things like dancing, going to movies, playing cards, going to the prom, drinking alcohol. All those things they said you should not do. But what Solomon's telling us is that we need to fill our lives up with good things. Because we each only have so many things. And that pushes out the bad. It's not a matter of adding and adding and adding where we clutter our houses, our bodies, our temples of God as he describes in the New Testament is that we get rid of the bad but we fill our lives up with good things. Now I keep reminding you of this that some years ago I was challenged by a friend that every day wake up and pray this prayer. Who can I bless? You know when you do that two things happen. One is you have this vision because you're looking for God at work. And number two, you become a participant in his work, in his mission, because you are called to bless. That was the calling of Israel back in Genesis 12, and it's our calling of the church. We are called to introduce people to Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest blessing that we can ever share. Friday a week ago, I joined with some other people. And... We raised over $300,000 for microloans to disadvantaged people around the world. Hope International, their payback rate for these loans, giving people jobs, is 98%. 
Saturday morning a week ago, a group of ladies here at GBC gathered. They had a shoe project, kids who have no shoes. And evidently in this country, there's something called jiggers, if I have that pronounced right, that burrow into their feet. And it produces all kinds of infections. So a basic shoe is a huge thing in terms of medical prevention. But they gathered and supplied shoes for 43 children who had none. That same morning, I was with a group of people. At the end of the morning, they raised enough money to bring 15 special needs children to an adoptive family in the U.S. and feed and clothe and shelter 150 orphan kids for an entire year. So let me ask you this question. Who did you bless last weekend? And here's the point I'm trying to make. Together, we can do more than we can do alone. And rather than standing on the sidelines, complaining and protesting, just go do something. And last week, Solomon said, listen, even though you're old and society has dumped you and you feel like you can't move and do things, he says, risk life. Be bold in your generosity. Be bold in your joy. Be bold in your godliness. There are so many opportunities for us to love God and others. And this thing that Solomon writes about fear God, obey his commandments, it's not some crazy, isolated, older person thinking this that has to mention their years. Over the New Testament, it talks about loving and doing. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5. And he actually raises the bar. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. Sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And Solomon's going to talk about this in a moment. Saying life gets hard. And... Whether you're living for God or living against God, without God, life is hard. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect. The word perfect there is complete. It's not the idea that the person never does anything wrong, but rather they're growing, they're maturing as your heavenly father is perfect. So you see the concept of love means there's action along with that. John, in 1 John 3.16, this is the other John 3.16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we brought and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So you see the, the idea and the action. If we're Christ-like, we do what he does. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children do not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. James chapter 1 verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And again, later in James 2 verses 14 through 17, what good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works. I know there's whole controversy about, you know, are we saved by faith versus works? We know we're saved by faith. But the truth is, faith will find its expression in some way of living. You cannot encounter Jesus and not have something transformed. Can I get an amen on that one? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Paul in Romans chapter 12, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Peter, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, why is all this important? Why is Solomon saying, okay, fear, love, honor, respect, all those things. Fear that, love God, and obey him. Why is it important? Because he says when we come face to face with God, there's going to be two choices. We will be judged. And with Christ, we're judged on his sacrifice. Without Christ, we're judged on our own account. We are judged for every thought, every word, every action that we've taken. Now, I don't know about you, but I would never want to stand before God not having Christ as my advocate. So the final word, Solomon says, have a love affair with God. And by that, just not this emotional sentiment. We're talking about fear and honor, respect, a whole lot of different things this word entails. But he says, narrow your focus on God. Be intentional about what you do. If you claim to have a loving relationship with him, if you claim to fear him, then you will do everything you can to align yourself with who he is. Now let's back up to the first verse. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1. He begins this section saying, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Remember to think about, to pay attention, to consider. It's the idea that there's intent of listening and obeying. Today, people listen with the intent of twisting and accusing. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, okay, pay attention with your ears and your eyes and your mind, but also pay attention with your life. Make sure they align with each other. And he's addressing those that are young. Why? Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He's beginning to describe to us what happens in old age. (laughs) That through life, when you're youth, you're carefree, your parents take care of you, The world looks pretty good, but as you gain responsibility, as you get older, things don't work the way they used to. And he goes on to this description. In verse 2, before the sun and the light and uh, and the moon of the stars are darkened and the clouds return after rain. There he's talking about some difficult times. And we, we go through those, don't they? We, in health, in, in the loss of people that we love. I mean, we watch things that we shouldn't watch and see. I still remember my mom passed away in 89, and my grandparents saying that no parent should ever watch a child die. I mean, that was hard. That was dark for them. And then in verse 3 and following, he begins to describe what it's like in old age. See if anybody can identify. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. The keepers of the house are our arms. So he's saying they're not as strong as they used to be and they start trembling. 
And the strong men are bent. He's talking about our legs. And the grinders cease. We lose our teeth. (laughs) Because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dim. They have a hard time seeing. Anybody can relate to this? (laughs) Young people, you're here. This is your lot in life. You're going to end up here just like everybody else, okay? And he goes on, and again, look at the vivid description of what it means to grow old. The doors in the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. Doesn't even have an appetite to eat anymore. And one rises up at the sound of the bird. Little things just irritate, and and all the daughters of song are brought low. We can't hear the things we want to hear, and we hear the things we don't want to hear. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. I mean, when you sit down and talk to, to elderly people, I mean, we have this range of experience, and we look at everything that could go wrong. And sometimes it just scares us. Scares us for our kids and for our grandkids and our great-grandkids. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along. What a description of someone growing old there. Kind of just getting here and there very slowly. And desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home. He says, remember the creator because you're going to be going there. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bough is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. You see why I start in verses 12 and 13 first? (laughs) This is not a pretty picture of what happens to our physical bodies. Now that's the bad news. You know what the good news is? Everybody here is young in terms of eternity. And while this is temporary, eternity is permanence. And the dust returns to the earth as it was. That's what happens to our bodies. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. And the last time he repeats this phrase, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. So his encouragement to the young people are, do not wait until the end of your life to respond. And you can almost hear him saying, like me. And think about our culture that we live in. We worship youth. And as we get older, we try to look younger. And so today in America, we nip it, we tuck it, we cream it, we dye it, we tattoo it, we pierce it. And then we walk out and we say, look at me, I'm not old. Yes, you are. And that's okay. But remember, it's okay to grow old. That's what Solomon's saying. Because there is eternity waiting for us. So Solomon says at the end of his life, embrace life. Live it no matter what age you are. Embrace it with God at the center. Be bold in your generosity. Be bold in your joy. Be bold in your godliness. That's what he talked about in chapter 11. Now, thinking about all that, especially godliness, there's something I don't get. We know that we are to be godly. We're to be Christ-like. Amen? And I've had a lot of conversations with people, and they say, well, isn't so-and-so such a Christ-like person? Now, I'm inquisitive enough. I got this little four-year-old boy inside of me that I have to ask, well, why do you say that? And here's their answer. They go, well, you know, they're just so nice. I don't get that. 
Jesus was so nice, he was killed for things that he said and lived. In fact, his small group Bible study, they were all killed except for one who was boiled alive, happened to survive that, to tell and live about it, and he was exiled on an island. It was not Willow Valley experience, okay? That was not the Isle of Patmos. And what Solomon's telling us is this loving God thing, this loving others, this obeying, it is high risk, it's dangerous. And Solomon warns us, life will be hard at times, but the one constant is God. So keep your eyes, keep your heart, keep your life there. And do not live as if he does not matter. If you do, you're going to end up empty, purposeless. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what position you have in this country. doesn't matter how many books you wrote or written about you. doesn't matter how much wealth you possess. He goes, you will be empty. But if you remember God, if you love him, if you obey his commandments, even in your old age, he says, you can live boldly. But he says, start as young as possible. So let me review what he's saying here in this first section. He says, number one, I must face the reality that I'm not getting younger. Amen? Two, God has designed me to be empty without him. So you choose to disregard God on any level. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter who you are. You will be empty. And number three, This life is a preparation for eternity. This life is a preparation for eternity. Let me kind of wrap this up in three ways. And instead of God, I want to use Christ because God sent his only son to this earth for us. That we can love God and we can honor him and fear him and respect him and that we can obey and we can bless and we can engage and we can be the church and we can make a difference as we collectively gather. And even though that stuff won't make the press, I mean, I gave you three examples. Did anybody read about that in the paper? Did anybody read about it on a blog? Did anybody find it in the national news? No. It doesn't fit their current narrative. But no matter what narrative they are writing for us, we get to write our own. So Solomon, first of all, says this. Realize Christ gives meaning to life. That's his conclusion. Anything apart from this doesn't work. Any exceptions from this doesn't work. No amount of education, no amount of wisdom, because he had it. Realize Christ gives meaning to life. Number two, he says, receive Christ. That's what it means to love God. Now, you understand what this means. You know how many times you talk about people around us being so dysfunctional? We are all dysfunctional. (laughs) We are all sinners. If we were not, then we would not need Christ. It's that simple. All of us need Christ. So all of us need to receive Christ. And I want you to consider that this morning because I'm going to ask a little later on about if you want to receive him, 
because you want meaning and purpose and you want direction and you want to follow Solomon's life to remember the creator, to love God. But the third is this then, just not enough to know this and to believe this, but we have to worship Christ. Martin Luther, a long time ago, wrote these words, Wherever, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. We become what we worship because we worship what we love. And what we love is how we live. And no matter what we say and no matter what we claim we believe and no matter how much knowledge we have, if we love money and things, then we will never have enough. Doesn't matter who you are. If we worship our own bodies and beauty and sexual lore, if we're caught up in that whole selfie generation, then we'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, we will die a million deaths until they put us in the ground. So Solomon says, time to take down the idols. And idols are anything that you think is your savior. And how to identify saviors other than Christ, we use this phrase. If I only had this, then. If we only had this, then. You already possess everything necessary to live a bold life in Christ. Amen? I get to consult different churches and pastors, and I can't tell you how many times leadership teams say this. If we only have, and they start saying, a better pastor, or this, or that. No. See, Scripture says that we are called to plant, so water. We collectively come together, and, and we do things that we cannot do on our own. But it's Christ who causes the increase. We're called to obey. We're called into what's called holiness. Big, long theological term for that is sanctification, where we progressively get closer to Christ. But the strange dance we do is we take two steps forward and usually one step away because we're distracted. We're called to love God, the kind of love that he's shed abroad in our hearts. And Solomon, through all this, and I hope you hear what he's saying, learning to love God takes practice. You have to be intentional. And yes, it's important what you claim you believe, but that belief better find its expression somewhere in life, even though that expression is imperfect many times. Loving God, we got to be intentional. And so he says, start when you're young. Don't wait till you're old like me. Because meaning and purpose are defined by who you love. This really concludes our series. I hope you've enjoyed Ecclesiastes. I ran across a passage this week that really is my prayer as we end this series. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 36. And I I know Ezekiel was kind of a whacked out prophet. I say he was the artsy prophet because he's always doing things that 
Talk about, you know, preachers today complain they have it hard. I would not have wanted to be Ezekiel. God says, Ezekiel, go sit in the middle of town, no clothes on, a pile of ashes, and just wait. That would not have been pretty. <laughs> but of course, the illustration was, God was saying, you're not listening to me. And Israel, you are, you are like the emperor has no clothes. And you're sitting in a pile of dirt, and you don't even know it. So I'm sending my prophet to visually illustrate what you are to me right now. And he did it for months and years. And he's seeing all these weird things, spinning wheels and lion heads and eyes. And I'm like, you know, who is this guy? But yet he's trying to describe what? The indescribable. You know, we cannot grasp the full weight and knowledge of who God is. We try. And then we argue over our version of it. But God is this immense, incredible Savior through Christ. So here's my prayer, and then I got a question. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 28. God through Ezekiel says this, and this is my prayer for us at GBC. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. This new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, idols give us hearts of stone. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I pray that we are his people and he is our God. Amen. I'm going to call the worship team up. Or close with a song. As they do that, those three things I spoke of in conclusion, I want to give those that have not received Christ an opportunity to do so. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I need to do this. I don't understand everything about it, but I have been in that rut of lifeless vanity of vanity, and you want to accept Christ this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to pair somebody with you. Um, this is a safe environment to stand. It's harder to stand sometimes out in the world because of how they view us. But if you're here this morning and would like to accept Christ, just stand and we're going to make this right this morning. And if I don't see you because of the lights, just kind of wave, jump up and down and yell and we'll find you. Is there anyone? Pray with me. Father God, um, we get the words... We understand, at least in part, what we're supposed to do. But wow, our hearts are so disoriented by loving other things than you. Thank you for Solomon's record, his confession. And I pray for all of us here this morning that we choose to love God. And we choose to enter into that relationship and we become intentional what it means to build that loving relationship. That's what it means to obey. Because everything you give us is for our good. I pray for those this morning that struggle with that. May your spirit make it clear to them this morning. Some decisions they have to make. If it means stopping something, may they stop it. If it means starting something, may they start that. I pray for all of us, Lord, that as we go out from this place, we understand that we're called to bless. 
And every day we wake up with this incredible opportunity just to make a difference in someone's life. And whether we do that collectively as a group of people or alone, you bring across so many people that you've called us to bless. Help us to see that. And I pray, Lord, for our church that you replace, if we have hearts of stone, with hearts of flesh. I pray that we become your people and we're proud of that. And we bow our knee in humility to you. I pray, Lord, that we worship you and only you. And that you alone are our Savior. But give us those kind of eyes and those ears. And even as we grow old and things don't work the way they used to, may we just every day be intentional about falling in love with you and seeing where that leads us. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here this morning to worship you. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.